This is the second message in the series Grace Revolution and it's entitled Ring That Rooster's Neck. Enjoy. We started uh, last uh, last Monday. We started with a with a series of teaching that I've entitled "Grace Revolution" because it will revolutionize the way you see the gospel. And uh, seeing that the majority of you have come back, I guess I guess it was I guess it was okay. Uh, let's uh, let's pray, Daddy God. Thank you so much for your smile and your favor. Help me tonight to somehow be of service and help my precious friends that are here tonight. Give me, give me simple words, give me clear words, give me clear concepts. And Lord, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Help us to understand, help us to appreciate that which you have made so simple and that man has made so complicated. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, we have, um, I, I just want to go quickly uh, on uh, what, what we did last, last week so that we, we can catch up for a, for a couple of you that weren't here. But we started with a piece of cheese. And we said, we said that, uh, that uh, most of us are used to a certain type of cheese because we've eaten that cheese all our lives. And so we think that the only cheese that exists is that type of cheese. But there's a different type of cheese. Uh, it's a little bit uh, small, but that thing was a two and a half kilogram buffalo milk mozzarella that was given to me for my birthday. Now that is the true gospel. That, <laughs> that, that is cheese, okay? That, that is cheese. And, um, and so the, the, idea is to, the idea is to contemplate the possibility that there is something else on the other side of the religious, the religi the religious horizon. Then we've gone, we've gone to, the, to the difference between um, religion and, um, and grace. In other words, religion is a contract. A contract is uh, based on performance. And is based on uh, uh, on, a, on an agreement between two parties. You do something for me, I do something for you. Most religions, most religions are based on a contract. Most religions speak to God in terms of I do something for you. I pray. I believe. I fast. I give. I go to church. I behave, and then therefore you do something for me. Most religion, if not well, basically all religions. It's only the gospel that uh, uh, is not a contract, it's a, it's a covenant. The, the contract is based on, on, uh, on performance, the covenant is based on a promise. And that's why last time I said, even, even the, the, the illustration that Jesus gives, gives us in, in terms of his relationship with us being the bridegroom and the bride, the marriage is a covenant, it's not a contract. The moment you enter into a contract, you lose intimacy. The moment you owe me 
anything, you lose intimacy. Because the moment you owe me, I owe you. Somehow, I can, I can manipulate you, I can, I can control you, I can blackmail you, and all sorts of things. So, uh, uh, um, the marriage to be successful has to be based on a covenant. And the covenant is based on a promise. And that's why we have that old um, custom of uh, saying those things when we get married. I vow that I will... Because that is the basis of it all. I'm not doing something as long as you do something for me. That is not the marriage. That is a contract. That is what you have with ESCOM. ESCOM doesn't send you uh, loving letters perfumed uh, in, 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 in violet uh, 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 saying, please, please, my love, please, would you send me your monthly uh, payment? No, they say, if you don't, I cut your lights. And so... The difference between grace and, and, uh, and religion is the difference between a covenant and a contract. Okay? And we've seen the definition of religion. Kika, do me a favor. Can you turn these down a little bit? Just a little bit. Uh, the, um, we've seen that the definition of religion is... Uh, down is the other way. <laughs> Thanks, baby. <laughs> Thanks, baby. <laughs> and uh, we've seen that the definition of religion, we've, we've looked at the, some, some dictionary definition, and we've seen that it speaks of uh, a way of belief, a way of uh, submitting to a deity, a way, uh, uh, a series of rules, an institution. This is all the definitions of, of religion. But we've also seen that religion is not what we're looking for. We are looking for Christ. We are looking for his person, we are looking for what he has done and I mentioned to you last time that bottom line when you go religious, the religious way, and the religious way is 90% of the church way, okay? Because if you pray, if you behave, if you give, if you this, if you do, if you do that, then, then God is happy. Who gets the glory if you get healed because you prayed? You. Who must have the glory? God. Him. The moment you put something between you and the result that is based on what you do, you get the glory. And that's not what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will give me the glory. All the glory, all the recognition, everything must be directed to Jesus because it's what He has done and it's got nothing to do with us for God so loved the world that He gave. He didn't ask permission. He didn't ask uh, uh, blessings. He didn't, he didn't say, if you behave, I'll do it. If you don't behave, I won't do it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. doesn't say, for the world so loved God. That God felt obliged to do something about it. Now, it's, it's all God's initiative. And then we've gone, and then we've seen, we've seen the, the, the scripture where it says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light, I will give you rest for your souls. Now, religion doesn't give you that. Religious yoke is not easy, religious burden is not light. Religion doesn't give you rest in your soul. In fact, it, it puts you in a position where you're always wondering if there isn't something more that you should do. And then we've looked at Hebrews 9 where we have uh, 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 discovered the fact that uh, um, what usually is defined in your Bible as the beginning of the New Testament. At the end of the, of the book of Malachi, you have a page that says the New Testament. And I, I have proven to you 
that that is not the beginning of the New Testament. Because the New Testament, the Testament according to the writer of Hebrews, begins with the death of the testator. When Christ died on the cross and he said it is finished, that was the beginning of the New Testament. The testator needs to die for the testament to come into action, to come into, into, uh, into uh, legal existence. And so we've seen that, and then we've seen in Hebrews 10, we covered a couple of things, and then we looked at, will the real Jesus please step forward? In other words, why do we have this dichotomy, this, these two people in the... Um, another interesting thing, well, in brackets, I was telling Celeste uh, uh, this morning or yesterday, the fact that the word gospel, when you get in your Bible, you open your Bible and you see the gospel according to the gospel of John, the gospel of Matthew, that is actually um, non, not right. The word gospel does not appear in the original Greek. The original Greek is kata Ioannis. In other words, kata is the word that says down. And it's used in the sense according to Johannes. It's not the gospel. It's been added. It's according to. Kata. Kata Johannes means according to Johannes. In other words, this is what John said. This is what he's trying to say. It's not the word gospel does not appear. The word gospel appears the first time when the angels appear to Mary and say, I bring you good news. And that bring you good news is, I bring you the gospel. And when he says, I bring you the gospel, what does he say? Unto you, today, is born a Savior, whose name is Christ the Lord, in, the, in Bethlehem, the city of David. Has that got to do anything with you? No. No, but I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. Unto you, the gospel says, unto you, today, a Savior is born. But, but I'm a Muslim. It doesn't matter. Unto you, today, a Savior is born. Now, what you do with that information is whether you're going to draw benefits from the gospel or not. But the gospel is an announcement. It's not a request. The gospel says, unto you today is born a Savior. Now what you do with that information, it's your, it's, your, uh, uh, it's, it's your good or your bad. But the gospel is an information. That's why it's not the gospel of John, not the gospel of Matthew, because the gospel only begins with what Jesus says. When Jesus speaks... That is the good news. The, he's, he's coming to earth. That's the good news. And to you, a Savior is born. Now, will the, will the, will the, the real Jesus really step, step forward? Why? Because we have these two personages, these two characters in the, in the Gospels. Let's call, let's call them the Gospels. In the, in the first four books of what in your Bible is defined as the New Testament. Uh, we have these two people. We have Jesus that, that is so harsh on Israel. And Jesus who is so gracious to the sinners. Have you noticed? He speaks to the prostitute. He forgives them. Your sins are forgiven you. The, 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 the paralytic that they, they, they drop from, from, the, from, the sea, from the roof. Bump, arrives at his feet. And Jesus says, your son... Your son your sins are forgiven you. Who asked you? Check your Bible. Nobody asked him. In fact, the guys up there looked and said, no, 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 not the sins, the legs, the legs, the legs, not the sins, the legs. 
Fix the legs, not the sins, never mind the sins. And then swallow this one for religious activity. He saw their faith and he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because that's an announcement, that is the gospel, your sins are forgiven you. Unto you, today is born a savior. Your sins have been forgiven. Now what you do with that is what the devil has been trying to hide for hundreds and hundreds of years. Trying to tell you that you still have to repent for your sins, that you still have to sacrifice for your sins, that somehow you have to still feel bad about your sins because you're a sinner saved by grace. No, you're saved by grace who occasionally sins. Because you're still stuck in a body that is still stuck in an environment filled with sin. So, will the, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Now, if you come back next week after this example. <laughs> okay, how many of you know the, the Lord's Prayer? You know the Lord's Prayer, right? How many of you have been praying the Lord's Prayer for a long time? Okay. I'm very sorry for you. Very sorry for you, because the Lord's Prayer has been given by Jesus to Israel as a means of saying there is no way that you can be forgiven apart from me. You remember how it ends? And you remember how many times you brought a curse on you by saying this, Father, forgive me as I forgive others. Okay, how many of you have got a grudge against somebody? Don't put your hand up. How many of you forgive like Jesus forgives? How many of you, somebody, somebody kills your dog, somebody steals money, somebody kicks you out of the house, somebody does that, and you forgive him like that? No, you don't. And we curse ourselves every time by saying, Father, forgive me as I forgive others. Why? Because we think that that's the gospel. And it's not the gospel. Jesus is trying to speak to Israel and say, guys, without me, you can't do it. Because Israel thought they could do it without him. And that's why he says, if your hand makes you sin, cut it off. And then he looks at them and says, can I hand you a knife? I mean, come on, cut it off. If your eye makes you sin, pluck it out. Why are you guys looking at me? You're supposed to pluck your eyes out. <laughs> somewhere along the line you've sinned with your eyes. You see how stupid it is? You see how crazy it is? When Jesus says, you want to follow me? Sell everything you have. Pick up your cross and follow me. But you see what religion does? It goes over that. And then he comes back here and he says, forgive. And then Jesus ends the prayer with these words. Because if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. Now suck that up. And work it out in your life. And tell me if you can do it. But we've been, but we've been praying the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer for hundreds of years. And Jesus is saying... I am giving you things to make you see that you cannot do it without me, Israel. And then a sinner comes, a prostitute, caught in their act. Now last time I checked, 
If you're caught in the act, you are caught in the act. I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not that, oh, no, I forgot. What was I doing again? Come on. Uh, right? So if she got caught in the act, Jesus knew exactly what she was doing. She was a prostitute. She, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, you're not, you're not a prostitute. You're not, you're not. No, he said, he said, you know what? Your sins are many, but I forgive you. Does anybody continue? And she says, listen to this, because she doesn't say, I'm so sorry, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. No, she says, nobody, nobody condemns me. Check your Bible. She says, nobody condemns me. With a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, no, what, what, what's wrong, what's wrong with making my trade prostitution? And Jesus says, ah, you don't repent. Ah, you don't come crawling here, crying your eyes out and asking forgiveness. And Ah, I tell you what, guys, stone him. No, what does he say? He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and do me a favor. Don't sin again, because sin has consequences. And the consequences of your sin will be that next time these guys catch you, and I'm not around... They are going to kill you. So don't do it again. You see how easy it is. The, the, the woman with the, five, with the five husbands. Jesus at the well. He says, uh, he says give, me, give me a drink. She says, uh, she says no, you, you, you're, a, you're, a, you're a Jew and you ask me uh, a Samaritan to give you a drink. And Jesus says, if you knew... Who's asking you for a drink? You would have asked me, and I would have given you the water of eternal life. All you had to do was ask me. He doesn't ask her to repent. He doesn't ask, because then he says, uh, he says, go call your husband. She says, I, I haven't got an husband, a husband. And he says, yeah, you're right, you've got one, you've got five. You've got five, and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. You're just shacking up with him. And Jesus doesn't say to her, repent. Move out of the guy's bed. Get your life together. No, he says, all you have to do is ask me for the water of eternal life, and I will give it to you. And suddenly, whoosh. The whole religious thing of confessing your sins and feeling sorry for you. And please understand, I'm not saying, I'm not belittling the curse of sin. Okay? What I'm, what I'm saying is that your repentance is not going to make the heart of God soft. Jesus made the heart of God soft. His heart on sin is soft on you. Because you remind him of his son. And it's not your goodness, it's his goodness. Okay, never mind. Okay, so will the real Jesus please step forward? Which Jesus are we talking about? Are we talking about the Jesus that stepped back into time, into, the, into Moses' shoes, and he says... Uh, and he says, uh, I tell you what, uh, if, you, uh, if you commit adultery just by looking at a woman, uh, sorry, if you commit adultery 
I tell you, it was written, you commit adultery by going to bed with a woman that's not your wife. But I tell you, you can commit adultery just by looking at the woman. Is that Jesus that stepped back into, into Moses' shoes and he says, you cannot ever satisfy the law? Or is it the Jesus that looks at Matthew, uh, uh, a criminal, a mafia dealer, a crook? Unrepentant at the, at the table of, of, uh, of the tax collector, at the, at the table of, of tax. Jesus gets to him and he says, uh, Matthew, follow me. Can you imagine Peter? Ah, to arms, to arms. What do you mean follow me? You don't know who this guy is. This guy's a bad news. This guy's a sinner. This guy's a this. This guy's a that. This guy's a... But you see, religion will say, will say, change, Matthew. And then you can join us. But Jesus says, join me, Matthew. And then you will change. Yeah. See? Okay, so. Tonight... I want to share something with you that just burst into my, into my mind a couple of days ago while I was, I was reading. And, um, and it's the word reminder. You, you've, got, you've, got, uh, you've got your reminder in your, on your phone, right? And I want to start with this. Romans 8, 31, 34. This is what the Bible says. It says, what, sh what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against? Now, I'm just asking you, okay, I'm just asking you to read the Bible with different eyes. If God is for us, who can be against us? No, but if I sin, if God is for us, who can be against? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him, up, delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who, okay, you ready? Who shall bring a charge against Dawn? Who shall bring a charge against Mario? Who shall bring a charge against Freddie? Who shall bring a charge against any child of God, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not your action, not your good behavior. Not your halo, not your tithings, not your church attendance. It is God who justifies. So who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now listen, understand this. Jesus is not sitting and, and, and there again, uh, I, told, I told you last time that um, the, possibly the, the greatest power of faith uh, is rest. Resting in the knowledge of a good God. That is the greatest power that you can apply. Not prayer, and I'm not saying don't pray, but prayer is again something that I do. Uh, rest is the thing that says, you know what? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm going to sit down, I've asked him, I'm going to sit down, there's a, 
My father loves me. My daddy God, my Abba Papa God loves me. And I've, I've made my need known to him as if I had to. Jesus says, your father knows your need before you ask. So, so what is this thing about prayer? Well, he likes to have a chat. He likes to talk to you. He likes to, it's like a father that likes his son coming to him and say, Dad, can you, can you, can you help me here? Or can you help me there? Or can, you, can you give me this? Or can you buy me that? That's, that's the heart of the father. And now watch. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I told you last time, remember, before the, the miracle of the fish and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the bread, what did Jesus tell the people to do? Sit down. You want to receive a miracle? Sit down. Rest. Don't go into performance mode. Because then you are the one that's going to pull down the miracle. And you know what? That's why you don't see many miracles. <coughs> because we're all told that we need to confess 72 scriptures half an hour a day. We, we, we have to wake up three hours before going to work so that we can study one chapter in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament, and one chapter in the Acts, and one in the letters of Paul. And then we must pray in tongues for a half an hour, and then we must deny. And it's all... Performance based. It's all contract based. It's all without any intimacy with the Father. And if you remember, again, last week I told you there are three letters in, in Hebrews 10. It says, Let us draw near him. Let us not forget the confession of our faith. And let us not forget the assembly of one another. And so it is the intimacy with the Father, it's intimacy with His Word, and it's intimacy with one another. And that's what the whole thing is about. And He says, okay, who's even at the right hand. So Jesus is not there kind of chewing His fingernails and saying, Ah, Peter, He did it again. Father, don't look. Don't look. Look at me, look at me. Look, Father, look at me. Look at, don't look. Don't look. Look at me. Look at me. Hi, hi. I am perfect. He is a piece of... Never mind. But, but I'm perfect. We're crazy. This is the picture that we've been given. Jesus did it. Hebrews 10. Once and for all. So the intercession that he does is a representative of Adam. Of me and you. If he's perfect, you're perfect. In the eyes of the Father. And it's not that the Father doesn't see the sin. It's just that Jesus doesn't have any sin. And if you're in Jesus, guess what? You don't have any sin either. Now, does that mean that I get... I'll cover that next week. <laughs> no, because the, 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 usual, the usual thing that they, they throw at me uh, here and in Italy. And in, but that means that you're giving the people license to sin. And I always say, the people do not need my license to sin. <laughs> they sin regularly, willingly, constantly, happily, without any of my permission. In fact, 
just before they, they click on that blue link on the, on, the, on the computer, they don't stop and say, ah, Mario said, don't do it. I will not do it. See how stupid the thing is? Sin has consequences. And so, can I give you a piece of advice? Don't do it. <laughs> I mean, the difficulties. How do I do it? Stop. Find a way to do it. Ask God to help you. Go to a therapist. Throw away the computer. I don't know. Do something. But stop. You know it's wrong. So, stop. Don't do it. Because the, salary, the, the wages are sin of death. Okay, next. Um, this is Peter. Not the Peter that I was talking about just now. <laughs> this is the other Peter. Okay? Now watch what happens. Remember we started the, who can accuse you? Okay, now watch. Luke 22, 31, 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I know that you are such a faith warrior that I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now, if I'd have been Peter, I would have said, no, don't pray for me. Kick the devil out of my life. <laughs> you see, that is the beautiful thing with the relationship with Christ. Jesus has done it all. The cross has completed the work of salvation. It is finished. The only part that you must play is what? Believe it. I pray that your faith should not fail. If you think that you've got generational curses hanging over you. Because grandpa, <laughs> grandpa was no good. And the Bible says that I will follow you to the third and the fourth generation. And grandpa is only two generations away, so you're stuck. <laughs> I've got you. For the rest of your life, there's nothing you can do because this monster sitting on your shoulder that says, you will be an alcoholic because grandpa was an alcoholic. And of course, Galatians 3.13, for he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That we don't read. That we don't apply. Because we have this stupid, asinine idea that a curse can be stronger than what Jesus did on the cross. And yet you have today people that will come and say, Come, let's get together. Let me, let, me, let me pray. Let me lay hands on you. Let me cast a curse out of you. Let me, let me cast a demon of alcoholism out of you. And I'm going, do you? No, okay, now just, you're not, you're not going to come back next week. <laughs> this is, you know the only time where the word deliverance appear in the Bible? There are people who have deliverance ministry. Do you know the only time when the word deliverance, and I'm not saying that demons don't mess around with you. I'm talking about the deliverance ministry that, you know, they're usually dressed in white with a, with a red tie and they, and, they, and they come and they got hair, you know, Donald Trump style. <laughs> and, no, the only time when the word deliverance appears in Colossians 3 where he says, he says, we have been delivered from the, cur from the, from the power of darkness. We have been, uh, past tense have been 
happen, done, finished, claw. All you have to do is believe it and you'll see the devil out of your life. But if you don't, guess what? He loves it. He loves you to think that you're not free from any interference. He loves to think that you got a little demon on the right shoulder, a little demon on the left shoulder, a little demon over here, two hanging from your nostrils, one hanging from the lobe of your ear. And they're all there telling you, like transformers, you know, there's a little... Sorry, I saw it last night. So. Okay, so... I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail because, Peter, I've done it all. There's nothing else that I can do for you. You just have to believe it. If you don't believe that you're free, if you don't believe that you actually can stand up to Satan when he comes to sift you as wheat, he's going to sift you as wheat. But now watch. One of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible is this little word right here. When? Jesus doesn't say if. He says when. It means, Peter, you know what? I happen to be God. And I happen to know what's going to happen. So don't worry about it, buddy. You'll get through. Satan will knock the snot out of you, but you'll get through. You will. When, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In other words, the, the trial that you're going to go through will give you enough to help somebody else. And you know, sometimes we go through things because we have to help somebody else go through things. And God uses even our, our mistakes to a, in, to a positive, way, positive way. And He says, strengthen your brain. But He said to him, No, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Okay, parenthesis, little, little brackets. Peter comes from the, uh, Peter is the, is the Greek word, is the Greek translation of the word kephas. Kephas is the, is the word for stone, for a for, for, uh, small rock. And kephas is the illustration of the law. The law was written on, table, on tables of stone. The stone, the ministry of stone, the ministry of death. Paul speaks of the stone. The, 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 the Ten Commandments written on the tablets of stone. When Jesus was, uh, when, the, when, the, when the adulterous woman was uh, brought to Jesus, Jesus was in front of the of the temple, where on the floor is stone, the stony blocks in front of in front of the temple were today they're in front of the of the western wall, but the whole place was covered in stone. And he writes on the ground. He writes on the stone. What is he doing? He writes twice. He's trying to tell the Pharisees, "I have written the law. I have the right to forgive this woman, because I have written the law." And then he writes again, why? Because I am, because God had written twice on the tablets of Moses. And so he says, I do it twice. Now, do you get it? I've written the law. I have the right to say, I don't condemn you. See, the law says, stone it. But I've written it. 
So I can say, don't stone her. And so, Peter, Peter is, 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 a, is, a, is a picture of the law. If you see Peter, it's all performance. No, I will never do it. No, I will follow you. No, I will do it. Same words that Israel spoke at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai when they cursed themselves forever. When they said, all these words that you have spoken, we will do. And instantly, they started dying. Because the payment of the law is death. Peter represents the law. Who was at the foot of the cross? He says, I will, never, I will go to prison and to death. In other words, I will follow you to the cross. I will, I will. Who was at the foot of the cross? John. John. You know, the, the Hebrew word for John is Yohanan. Yohanan was, uh, uh, means Yahweh is gracious. It's the grace of God that will follow Christ to the cross. Not the law. Not your performance. Peter split. John was at the foot of the cross. Okay. And today, then he said, <laughs> I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Okay? Now, this is what happened. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Who's that other disciple? John. Okay? Now, isn't that amazing? That both disciples were in the same place at the same time. Peter denied Christ and backed off from knowing him. John, you want to tell me they didn't know that John was one of his disciples? Of course they did. But John didn't back down and said, yeah, I'm one of the disciples. Grace will give you the strength to stand up to temptation. Not the law. The law will tell you, split boy, you haven't got it in you. So, and so now that disciple was known to the high priest and went, and went with Jesus, he was known to the high priest, went Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciples, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. I wonder if John did it on purpose. I think he might have done it on purpose. You know, John had this thing with Peter. In the, in, the, in the three Gospels, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that someone cut the ear of the, of the high priest servant, of the servant of the high priest. It's only John that says it was Peter. <laughs> yeah, check, check, check. Mark, Matthew, and Luke, they say someone cut the... John says it was Peter. Okay. <laughs> Trivia. Uh, then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals, please make a note, mental note, fire of coals, stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, was here, Peter cut off. <laughs> John says, Peter did it. Said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again. And that word denied is a word that applies very well to fishermen. It's basically, he swore. He cussed, he threw a bad one. To make sure they 
believed him. I'm not the disciple of this man. Okay? Denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now. <laughs> now, my question is this. We're talking about a reminder. Do you think, from that day on, every time a rooster crowed, the devil didn't remind Peter what a traitor he was? And this is what religion does. Religion reminds you, you're a sinner, you failed, you're a mess, you are bound for hell. You need to change. You this and you that and you that. And that's Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. The law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not... What, what is, the, what is, the, what is it implying there? He's implying that if the law cannot make you perfect, grace can. Right? This is a, there, wouldn't, there wouldn't be a comparison if something couldn't make you perfect. And you remember that we saw last week that Jesus made you perfect. Okay? In the eyes of Christ. Oh God. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? If you're perfect, what do you need a sacrifice for? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away, blow away the sins. And when John sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of bulls and goats cannot do it. But the Lamb of God can. And you know why it can? Oh, this is so good. Because when you went to the high priest in those days, you went with a lamb, the high priest didn't check you. He checked the lamb. And if the lamb was acceptable, your sins were covered for a year. Do you think that Jesus' blood was accepted by the Father? That's it. The Father inspects the Lamb. Not you. In fact, let me tell you something. If you weren't a sinner, you wouldn't need grace. If you didn't need something to be forgiven, you wouldn't need grace. And if you didn't need grace, you wouldn't need Jesus. And if you didn't need Jesus, He died for nothing. Now you see how simple it is? And how, how complicated it has been made that you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this and you have to, and you have to earn this and you have to conquer that and you, and you, better, uh, and, and you better go and have uh, this long session about the renewing of the mind and the, what's, that, what's that other thing of the soul? The thing of the soul? Uh, 
they, 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 they go back into your life and they find out that you've done something wrong when you were five and then you go back and then you go into hypnosis and... The what? Huh? No, no. I'm talking about that other ministry when they sit you down and they go back into time and they say, okay, think when you're... And then let's go into the source of... Huh? Inner healing, inner healing, thank you, inner healing, because Jesus didn't do it. <laughs> Jesus didn't do it. Paul says you have the mind of Christ, but... Because you did something wrong when you were five, you've just lost the mind of Christ. Now let's, let's do it over again. Okay, so, uh, but in those sacrifices there is a man of sin for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sin. Jesus takes away sin. Now, the accusation. Have you, has anybody ever told you this? My father told me this many times. You always make a miss. You'll never do anything right. I can see somebody <laughs> looking at me with a, very, with a very blank stare. Yes, most of the time it's the father that says this. Sometimes it's a teacher. Sometimes it's a girlfriend. I had a girlfriend that when I, when I, when I left her, said to me, you got eyes like a boiled fish. <laughs> <laughs> And I rebuked her in the name of Jesus. No, I didn't. Okay, so the accusation is, watch, the accusation is, the reminder is always what? Personal. It doesn't say what you do is wrong. It says, no, you're wrong. It says, you, 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 you bad. You bad. The reminder, the reminder, what religion does, he doesn't, religion doesn't come to you. Satan using religion, Satan using the sin that you have committed, because you have. Don't look at me with that holy face. You've, you've, we're all in the same boat. Okay? That's why Jesus said you don't even have to go to bed with a woman. You must just look at her. You don't even have to kill a man. You just have to tell him to go bleep <laughs> on the highway. And, 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 you, and, you're, and you're a killer. So, um, so it's, it's always personal. You always make a miss. It's always pervasive. You never do anything Am I right or not? When, when that condemnation comes, when this accusation comes, when the rooster crows, it says, you're a traitor. You're a traitor. Look what you've done to your children. Look what you've done to your wife. Even to your friend, you let them down. And then, it's permanent. You will never do anything right. And that is the accusation that Satan uses via religion, via the sin. And, and, and again, I, I confirm the fact that Peter did deny Jesus three times. Jesus didn't, didn't block his eyes. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that after the third time that, that Peter denied him, Luke tells us, Dr. Luke, who is actually... Uh, re reporting from other other disciples because he wasn't there, right? He, he wasn't one of the one of the disciples. So he's reporting from what he heard from Peter, from what he heard from John, from what he heard from. So he says, "The Lord looked at Peter." And don't you know that the devil 
every morning when a rooster crowed, would say, and you call yourself a Christian. The Lord gave his life for you. He bled until he died. And you can't even pray for an hour in the morning. He forgave the world and you're not even able to forgive you, your husband. And you call yourself a Christian. And that's the accusation. It's personal, pervasive, it's permanent. And of course, the rooster crows. Every time the rooster crows, Peter receives the reminder. I have a Sherwood Forest alarm on my phone when it must remind me of a meeting or something. It goes <laughs> with these horns and everything. Why? Because I, I need to hear it. I need to be reminded. And the voice of that rooster is so loud that that will stop you from actually getting intimate with the Father who loves you and who's already proven His love for you while you were yet sinners. Christ died for you. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your error, in the midst of your foolishness, Christ died for you. That is the proof of God's love. The cross. Not the answer to prayer. The answer to prayer comes and doesn't come. No, Jesus always heals. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. That's what religion tells you. Religion tells you that if you pray long enough, that if you fast long enough, that if you lay hands and you anoint with oil, and you do this and all these are, God's going to heal you. No, he's going to heal you if he's going to heal you. Now, I don't know why sometimes he does. Like I tell people in Italy when they come to be prayed for, remember one thing, I pray for ten people, nine die. <laughs> so make sure you're number ten in the line. Because I have a, uh, no, seriously, I have a record of about ten percent of people that got healed. Okay? The others died. So, but, but you see, we, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't know, it's like, it's like, well, I do know. It's, it's like these, these blinkers that, that we, we wear and, and we worship. Where's my Bible? Anybody? Where's my Bible? Anyway, give me. Thanks. Thank you. And we worship the book. We don't worship the God of the book. We worship the book. This is God's word. No, it isn't. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. This is the book. When we were children, we were told that we, we must handle the Bible with, with so much respect. Yeah. And I mean, you, know, you know, I freaked out pastors in Italy. I put it on the floor and I stood on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, I said, and I said, that is not my God. This is a book written by my father. And that's why there are so many translations. And that's why if you go to Italy, you'll find the Bible with an extra eight books. 
You didn't know that. You didn't know that your Bible is short of eight books, according to the Tobit, Judith, the Wisdom of Solomon, 1st Maccabee, 2nd Maccabee, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas. You didn't know that. Now you go and tell some Catholics about your Bible, they will say, no, your Bible is not good enough. Because in the Council of Trent, da, 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 we decided that these were the books that would go into the Bible. Who decided? Some cardinals that most probably was going to bed with a woman that was cleaning the, the floors of the church. Because he's a man. He's not God. But inside that book, he's the spirit of the Creator. That uses those words just as much as sometimes he uses a sunset or a sunrise. Or a song. Or a flower. Or a bird. Or a, or a circumstance. Or a, something that happens. And speaks to me. And he talks to me and he says... My son, this is what I want to release into your heart. And suddenly something inside of me says, you know what? I really believe that God told me. But what we do is we open the book and we say, this is what the Bible says. And we stuck with the condemnation that comes from the letter. And Paul himself says, the letter kills. It is the Spirit that gives life. And that's why, my, my, my friend, if you don't have an intimate relation with the Father, you can learn the letter. You will know the doctrine. But your bed will be very cold. Because doctrine doesn't make a good lover. Amen. So, uh, Remember the fire that I told you to make a mental note about it? Yeah. How to shut that rooster's voice once and for all. I know that none of you have got the rooster that speaks to you when you make a mistake. We're talking about the ones that uh, are not here, okay? We're talking, we're talking about uh, other people. But just in case, when you make a mistake, just in case, when you sin... And that rooster taps you on the shoulder and says, You did it again. And you call yourself a Christian. You're no good. You're no good. Reminder, reminder of who you are. You see, this is your nature. This is your Adamic nature. No, it's not. It's just me being stupid. My nature is not Adamic anymore. My nature is the nature of God. For he who knew no sin was made to be sin, be sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. My nature is the righteousness of God in Christ. Now come and talk to me once I'm convinced of that. And I see what I do with your neck, rooster. So we have a situation where as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire calls there. I wonder if Jesus wasn't trying to restage something that in the mind of Peter was playing over and over and over and over again. And fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. Have you ever asked yourself why the Son of God has decided not to say many, not to say over a hundred, not to say even a hundred and fifty, but to say one hundred and fifty-three fish. Because as a good Jew, every number has a meaning. You guys are right. Okay, all right. Uh, every number has a meaning. And you can go through the Bible and find it full, pregnant of revelation in the numbers. In the meaning of the numbers and the meaning of the letters and in the names and the meaning of the names and so on. So it says, and the net was not broken. Now we haven't got time to go into that, but if you remember when when Peter said to Jesus, we fished the whole night and we didn't catch anything. Jesus said to him, he said, uh, cast a net on the other side. And, and the Bible says that Jesus, that Peter picked up a net. Now that net was the only one that he hadn't washed. He was washing the nets. And Jesus told him to throw the nets on the other side. And he picked up the net, the one that wasn't washed, and the one that was second hand. Because unfortunately, sometimes, we don't take Jesus seriously. So he cast the net, the fish goes in, pulls it, the net breaks. But this time, the net didn't break. Because something in the heart of Peter was longing for what's, going, what's about to happen. Come and eat breakfast. Wimpy. $29.99, two eggs and bacon, and a sausage, with tomato, grilled tomato. Yet none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? Now watch this, knowing that it was the Lord. Now, I don't, I don't know how this works, but I'm just thinking, if I see someone that was, that was hanging on a cross, Three days ago, and now he's sitting there having breakfast. I would assume he is God. But somewhere along the line, coupled with the story of the two disciples that go to the mouse, and they do not recognize him until the moment when he reveals himself through the bread and the wine. But that's another story for another night. Knowing that it was the Lord. Okay, so they knew it was the Lord. Now watch what happens. Why 153? One, Alep, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It means chief, father, God. Five, hey, hen, grace, forgiveness. Okay, you, you might remember the word chesed. Chesed is the word that speaks of loving kindness, forgiveness, goodness, mercy. So hen, five, is the, is the letter hey, which represents, by the way, five is the number that represents grace right throughout the Bible. Uh, we don't have time, but there, there, were, there were five, five uh, um, 
uh, five husbands of the woman that needed forgiveness. There were five uh, portals in the, at the Pool of Bethesda. There, there were five groups of, uh, of uh, laborers in the vineyard. Um, there were, five is the number of grace. Trust me. <laughs> Hen. And three, Gamel. He runs to help a messenger. So when Peter pulled up and for somehow supernaturally was revealed to him that it was 153 fish, what he heard is, you know who I am. I've come to remind you of my grace. Because Peter was still listening to the rooster. And Jesus needed Peter to stop listening to the rooster and to start listening to his spirit. And this is what I think Jesus said. I have come to bring you the good news. And this is what I hope with all my heart that I've done tonight for you. I've come to bring you the good news that I've forgiven you of all your sins. Okay, this is Peter. The traitor. The blasphemer. The one who... When we speak... Churchian has committed the unpardonable sin. Right? Because he has denied Christ. So, Churchianese will teach us that if you deny Christ, that's it. You're fried. Don't pass go. Don't collect 200 rings. Straight to heaven. Right? Jesus watches Peter betray him. And he tells him a couple of days prior, he says, Pete, I know what you're going to do. Relax. You don't, you're not going to catch me by surprise. This is what's going to happen. You are going to be sifted like wheat. And you know what? You're going to fail. But when you come back, because you will come back, my son. You will come back. Because I know you. And I trust you. Remember that time when I told you to get out of the boat? Why do you think I said come out of the boat? Because I believed you could do it. Because it's okay for you to believe in Christ. But it's way, way, way better for Christ to believe in you. To believe that Christ believes in you. And that is the strength of grace. Because the, the rooster can sit here every morning and shout in my ear. But I can look up and say, Daddy God, Papa, I know you love me. And I know you love me enough to help me change. And see him smiling. And see him clapping hands for the little improvement to my life. To the little improvement. I don't lie 75 times a day anymore. Only 74. <laughs> God applauds. I've forgiven you all your sins. Present, past, future. And I love you because I'm good. Not because you are. Don't listen to the Drewster's voice. Come on. Let's go again. Let's give it another try. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm, I'm, I'll be with you forever. You're in the palm of my hand. You, my sheep 
and in my father's hand, nobody will ever be able to snatch him away from my father's hand. Yeah, but if you sin long enough, then you lose your salvation. Okay, then nobody will, as long as you don't sin, then, then, then my father holds you in his hand. Ah, come on. I will never leave you. Yeah, but if you sin, uh, okay, I will mm, then try not to leave you. As long as you behave. I give you eternal life. Yes, but if you sin, you lose eternal life, you lose salvation. Okay, it's not eternal, it's temporal. <laughs> I mean, okay, I give you temporal life. As long as you behave, you can keep temporal life. You see how crazy this thing is? And how liberating grace is. Let me tell you something. You let grace do its perfect work. And you watch your holiness come out from the inside to the outside. Come on. It's time to wring the Drewster's neck. Once and for all. Amen.